0: Tonight, should Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez run for president and death penalty do's and don'ts? I'm Roaming Millennial and you're watching Uncensored. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. With me is my producer Liam. Hey everyone. And today we're going to be starting off with an article from Vox. They just, you know, I should be thanking them really for the amount of content they've given me since I started talking about social issues because it's really, I'm quite grateful.
1: I'm sure that that, that's their intent.
0: Right. I mean, there are certain publications where it's like, I'm pretty sure most of your readership is just people who hate read you. I mean, I know we get some hate watchers for sure, but when it comes to Vox, it's like it's significant this article comes to us from matthew iglesias who i'm pretty sure we've made fun of on the show before but in any case this article is definitely just treasure trove
1: he's the male feminist dude right
0: yes yes he is the male feminist who has a very unfortunate case of soy face the
1: the true alpha Yeah, yeah
0: that's him so he writes, it's ridiculous that it's unconstitutional for Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez to run for president. Immigrants, young people, and everyone else should be allowed to run. So I'm going to stop things just there. Already we can tell there's going to be a problem with this. Like, right, we, we don't even need to read the article. I mean, we will in a second. But it's like, you, you know nothing good can come from someone saying, just let let the immigrants and the young... Yes, everybody run for office. Not, we're not even talking about voting. Running for office. But we continue. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is the biggest star in the Democratic Party, and she has been ever since she unseated Rep. Joe Crowley in a surprise primary upset in May. That her win didn't in the final analysis launch a wave of leftist primary victories only goes to show what a phenomenon she personally is. Not everyone shares her brand of politics, of course, but her constituency has exploded beyond the initial set of ideologues who powered the challenge to Crowley because of her incredible wit, charisma, social media savvy, and basic political smarts. Okay, I need to stop again here. And usually we don't do this. Usually we read the whole article, at least. But, I mean, so, so if that's your or Matthew Iglesias' analysis of Alexandria orcasio cortez we, we are reading and seeing very different clips yeah, of this woman.
1: Political savvy is not the term that comes to mind when I think of Orcasio cortez
0: No. No, it is not. She's good at social media. I believe I mean, that. I mean, she's good. Young. She can tweet. There's that, but, uh, like I said, what what do we make of this? Hard to say. The article continues in a fawning sense that she's an outside politician in the best possible sense, quietly loathed by many of her colleagues for beating a well-liked incumbent and being, frankly, more impressive than they are. Yeah, so this, I mean, some people don't think that this job is difficult, but keep in mind, I read stuff like this all day. So, this, you know, this is what I'm constantly... Bringing it in, it's it's not it requires not fortitude. Easy.
1: I also want to point out that I think that this is how he's this is like a mating tactic for him. It's a mating call.
0: Yeah, he's hoping that <laughs> she'll read it and then you know be overcome yeah. by his his male feminist sensibilities. Oh man, you know he's so sensitive he to so much. Having spent more time as a bartender than a politician, she has an appealing every woman persona and a Latina from the Bronx is the reminder mainstream politics needs that there's more to working class life in America than old guys in Appalachian diners. Yet a completely ridiculous constitutional provision makes her ineligible to run for president. While the law prevents anyone under the age of 35 from becoming president, we currently have a septuagenarian in the White House whose frequent nonsensical diatribes and notoriously scattered Twitter outbursts repeatedly raise the prospects of mental decline. Meanwhile, the top two Democrats in national polling, Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden, are 77 and 76 respectively. There's nothing wrong with old people per se, but essentially everyone has lost a step or two both mentally and physically by their mid-70s. I love that he says that there's nothing wrong with old people per se. Like, can you imagine saying that about any other group at all? There's and nothing
1: about the Jews per, per se. se.
0: <laughs> like, no, I mean, like, there's nothing wrong with funny. Latinas yeah. per se. Like, usually, that's not, how is that okay? It's, I,
1: well, I mean, it's not. Really. It's not, yeah, <laughs> it's okay. Not really. But there's more. I mean, there's a valid point there that there's some senility creeping in to some of these people, you know, but.
0: Yeah, but then like, then say that. Yes. Yeah. Also, yeah. like 70s, I mean, that's not that old, right? It depends on the person, 70s, right? It really yeah. does. That's like, I mean, thing. I think if we, we get, start to go into the 80s, especially looking at RBG, who's like falling asleep at every, like, hearing or anything yep. that she's present at, then we can talk about it, but this is like, there's nothing wrong with old people per se. <laughs> you might worry that a new youthful president is underexperienced, but then again, which president hasn't been a little underexperienced? But a lack of experience is guaranteed to improve with time. Things are as bad as they'll ever be during the campaign, so voters can judge for themselves without worrying about lurking problems. Besides which, 29, Ocasio-Cortez's age, just honestly isn't that young. People younger than that are routinely trusted with life and death situations in a huge array of contexts, ranging from parenting to military service. One good sign that AOC should run for president is that she has a nickname. AOC, a House Democratic staffer, told me the other day that ACO was a good example of something, and I knew exactly who she meant despite the error because there aren't any other members of Congress who have widely recognized nicknames that you would just drop into casual conversation. Is having a nickname a sign that you would exercise good judgment in the Oval Office? Absolutely not. But it's proof that she's an honest-to-goodness political superstar, and it's clear that's what many Democrats are looking for in 2020. Okay, I'm just gonna stop... Stop reading right there because I don't even know... What to say to that? I mean, there are so many nicknames out there in politics that are not good. And no. To, no, she is not special for having such a long name that people have to abbreviate her initials. Like this, this is awful. People make fun of Donald Trump for giving people nicknames. Oh no, yeah, no, like... <laughs>
1: exactly. He's, he's making everybody superstars. I guess, right? Yeah,
0: I guess so. I mean, you got like what, <laughs> Lion Ted and like Lion Hillary. It's just, it's. I don't know who approved this article to be published, but it's like, you know, Matthew Iglesias, he's gonna do his thing. We've seen before, but it's, I kind of place more blame on whoever was like, yes, let's publish this. So anyway, that steaming heap of journalism aside, larger context here, is it wrong? Should it be overturned that people cannot run for president if they are less than 35 years old? I really don't think it's a bad idea to have that age requirement in place. I mean,
1: yeah i mean 35 isn't old uh you know that's not, not old at all no I, I definitely i could see putting limits on the age in the other direction as well where it's like you know yeah like well, hey where, if where's you're, the line there? yeah that's
0: fair i would be more likely to support saying hey at a certain point you are too old especially considering yeah. uh supreme court justices are appointed for a lifetime versus like hey let's make it younger and it's funny because trump is actually really old like he's in his 70s as the article mentioned but he's I mean, he's kind of the opposite of Jeb, who is low energy. Trump is really high energy, so I really don't even think of him as being mm. in his 70s because that's just not the, uh, I guess, the persona that he conveys. He's pretty...
1: No, definitely not. Yeah,
0: he's a go-getter still. Um, but regarding people being too young, okay, we know now through actual like studies of neurology and our brain chemistry that you continue to mature throughout your 20s right? Someone who is, let's say, 20 is not the same mentally as someone who is 30. Um, There are changes that affect how we process decision-making and all of that thing, never mind just general life experience and I guess gaining knowledge and wisdom the the longer you live, but there are actually quantifiable scientific reasons why you definitely should have at least some sort of floor where people are too young to run for president. Maybe I'm biased because we're talking about Ocasio-Cortez specifically, but I I would want this across the board, regardless of your political party. It's like if you're less than 35, just no. And honestly, like you said, that's not even that young. I would be maybe even in favor of like raising it a little bit, especially when it comes to being president, because that's a lot of responsibility. Yeah,
1: certain things are still developing at that age, which is why America has a drinking age of 21, which here in Canada, well, where we are in particular, it's 18. And in most of Europe, it's lower than that. Um, I like the idea where you, you have to be older to even be involved in politics at all. Right. Um, yeah. because of these these decisions that you have to make. Um, I mean, there are certain factors that you do get slower with certain things as you even in your mid-20s, you start to slow down certain things. But I think that's a good trade-off for the amount of knowledge and life experience that you get because everybody knows how impressionable someone at 18 to 21 is. And even even at that point, you're still very impressionable.
0: Right, and as someone who is not that far removed from 21, let me tell you, 21-year-olds are still, like, I mean, still immature, and that's, in the States, right, the voting age used to be higher, but then uh, the whole thing with Vietnam, with the draft, it was kind of like, we mm-hmm. can't have 18-year-olds going to die for a war that they are not able to cast their vote on. Which makes okay. sense, right, that's I mean, logically fa- fair consistent. Fair enough, but yeah. now that there's no, the West as a whole is not going to war anymore. I think we all need to revisit this. I personally, and I've made a video about this before, uh, back when the whole Parkland thing was happening, a lot of people were saying, let's lower the voting age to 16. I say we raise it to like 21, if not 25. And I acknowledge that means that I wouldn't be able to vote anymore, but I think it is a trade-off that would be worth making for me personally because, I mean, it's it's science. You actually are better at decision-making, especially balancing long-term consequences when you are older. I mean... Some people will say, oh, that's just because people tend to get more conservative as they're older and, you know, that's who you want voting. But it's like, is it my fault that when people scientifically and quantifiably get better at decision making, they tend to vote conservative? I don't think so. I think maybe if you're a liberal, you can look at that and kind of ask yourself what what that might mean for you know for your political ideology uh but no this that would be a terrible idea and he doesn't talk about it much in the article but he also mentions immigrants being able to vote or sorry run for office that's even like a step above voting so right now there are provisions where you you can be an immigrant to the united states and still run for office you just have to have been a citizen for at least like i think it's 10 years if you're if you're running for congress obviously if you're the president you have to have been citizen at birth but for other political offices you can have immigrated i think that's fine i don't really i've never heard anyone criticize that but i have a feeling that he's perhaps talking about non-citizens as well uh maybe even legal and illegal immigrants and you should definitely
1: correct term sorry
0: right i'm sorry regular and irregular immigrants as we uh we learned from the yeah um that's a really bad idea uh yeah you should have you should be I'm sorry, I, you you should have solidified your allegiance to a country before you're able to run for its office and begin voting. And I think, like, the whole 10-year rule, that's fair, right? Like, I mm-hmm. don't want people who just got off the boat yesterday or whatever, like, yeah, I now vote and can run for your office, like no, no, I'm I'm sorry, no, and I, I don't care if that comes across as bigoted now, but I think that's just, it's objectively a bad idea, and, uh, you know, the framers of the Constitution, itself, they, they understood stuff like this, and even, I mean, he criticizes them, like, this age restriction is just this antiquated thing, being 35 actually made someone, in a lot of ways, older back then than it does now, right, yeah. because your life expectancy yeah. was lower, and you, I mean, you got married younger, had kids younger, you entered into a lot of i guess adult settings at a younger age now i mean 35 year olds like what you've maybe just gotten your your mba maybe just mm-hmm. gotten married and had a kid i mean if we were to try to think of the similar age yeah. of what it means to be 35 now in their age in their ages it might it may be like what 50 even or Radic- something like that. It would
1: like be that. radically different. Yeah, it but, would be radically uh, different.
0: So I don't think that he made the point he meant to.
1: No, and I think to your point about the American Founding Fathers, I would think that if they actually did foresee all the stuff, that they'd probably, first of all, be wildly shocked at how things have been turning out. And second... Like they would have limited these things to like it'd probably be higher to be a president, probably forty. That
0: a, seems you know. reasonable to me, right? Because he he dismisses experiences like, oh, but it's not that big deal. Everyone's inexperienced to some degree and you just get more experience as you go along. At what the interview for a job is that a good thing to say? Like you're you're interviewing for literally anything. I don't have any experience, but you get experience as you go along. Everyone's inex- inexperienced to some degree. That's no. I want you to have at least. A, and people will say like, oh well, Trump. He doesn't have any, any experience as a politician. He still has experience running, you know, billion-dollar industries and mm. running businesses versus someone like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and yeah. most twenty-some-year-olds who are like, what is your experience?
1: Yeah, and she was she was a bartender, was a bartender just bartender. prior, to, and that's not like to not, knock not, on people, but there's no. a very big difference between you know, pouring some drinks and, you know, what have you, and running a multi-billion dollar company, whether you like Trump or not, I think that's just a a,
0: It's just It's just different, right? And I I understand, like, I'm, I feel fine saying that I would be unqualified to run for office currently as well. Like, I wouldn't vote for me. That would be awful because I wouldn't, I wouldn't know what I was doing. And that's fine to admit. Mm -hmm. Like, not everyone is qualified to be an elected official. And I think it's okay to have that standard. Our next topic is one that we first heard about from Philip DeFranco's show, and he does a really good job giving a rundown of what's currently happening, so here's his take on things.
2: And you may have never heard of this case, but it is Madison v. Alabama. Back in October, the United States Supreme Court heard oral arguments in Madison v. Alabama, and at the center of that case, you had Vernon Madison, who was on death row in Alabama, and he's suing for his life. Which, before we get to the now, we should really talk about the initial crime. Back in 1985, Madison was arrested and charged with attempted murder of his estranged girlfriend, Cheryl Green, and of murdering police officer, Julia Reportedly, Schulte was at Green's residence to investigate a missing child report there, and then Madison arrived. And Madison, who was out on parole at the time, thought Schulte was there to arrest him, so he fled and then eventually returned with a pistol and he shot Schulte twice in the back of the head, which killed him instantly, and then he also fired into Green's back as well as she shielded her 11-year-old daughter. Though luckily, she ended up surviving her wounds. And after two mistrials, we fast forward to Madison being found guilty in 1994, and he is sentenced to death. And a big note here is he was sentenced to death after a judge overruled a jury's recommendation that he be given life without parole. Now, over the years, Madison has sued with a few different arguments in the past that have actually delayed his original execution date of 2016. And we'll hop around a little here. In 2017, Madison and his lawyer sued over a 2017 law change in Alabama that made it so that trial judges cannot override a jury's sentence recommendation. Prior to that, his lawyers argued that he was too incompetent to be executed. And so in basic terms there, that means that he doesn't have the mental faculties to understand what he did or why he's being sentenced to death. And for this story, that's an important word to remember, incompetence. Now, in October of 2017, the Supreme Court actually decided against his incompetence argument saying the state court did not unreasonably apply to prior decisions when it determined that Madison is competent to be executed because notwithstanding his memory loss he recognizes that he will be put to death as punishment for the murder he was found to have committed and with this decision his execution was rescheduled for January 2018 but then the Supreme Court reversed course just before his execution and decided to hear his lawyers incompetency argument so once again his sentence was commuted while they heard arguments and so this is where we get into some of the specifics and the arguments Madison's Supreme Court arguments stem from two strokes that he suffered while in prison that allegedly left him with a vascular dementia, And his lawyers argue that he can't remember basic things because of the dimension. Okay, so in short, right now, the big question that this whole case has brought up is should the death penalty be
1: applied to this person who is no longer really cognitively functioning? Um, to which I think the majority of people that see this believe that, especially people that believe in the death penalty, first of all, will say this guy should be a lot less cognitively functional than he currently is. Like <laughs> this, this should have been 20 taken care twenty years a long ago. Time this ago. should have been like this should have been done. You know. Um, so it is a tragedy that this guy had a couple strokes and has had to, to suffer. And part of me is, you know, in concordance with the idea that maybe if I were him, I would uh, be asking for the needle myself. Right. What's your quality of life at but, this point uh, anyway? Yeah, no, I definitely think that even at this point that he should be um, punished. Uh, yeah, so as, you, as you, you, you think was. they should still do it. They should carry the sentence, absolutely. Yeah.
0: So I'm one of those people who I don't have a problem with the concept of the death penalty. If you give me a child murderer, child rapist, and ask me, hey, do you think we should keep this guy around? I'm going to say no. I'm like, I- I'm okay with him being put to death. Where I think that things get a little bit complicated is when you talk about the idea of is the justice system as we have it now infallible in determining who is and who is not guilty right and that's kind of that's the only thing that makes me pause when it comes to the death penalty the fact that it's really hard
2: sometimes there are some cases
0: right and it's also grossly inefficient a lot Mm -hmm. of people would assume that it's a lot cheaper and more efficient to just kill someone rather than put them in jail for their entire lives but the way the appeals process works it ends up getting bogged down in court and things it's actually It's not cheaper. Um, That aside, this specific guy, I don't, like, I mean, oh, I don't remember that thing I did. I don't think that's really an excuse.
1: No, not at all. Right? Absolutely not. And that's part of the problem of this case is that it kind of lends itself to a slippery slope argument, right? Where if this guy claims to not remember the case. Yeah. Then...
0: I mean, Other people if you're can drunk, can, yeah, Yeah, if, you, if I do something and I'm drunk and it's awful, but oh, I don't remember that. That was me drunk.
1: You're right. That's, that's I don't not... think that people would like it if we started applying that to racist cases, right?
0: Right. But hearing this case, it kind of made me think more broadly about the death penalty. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I mentioned when it comes to child rapists, just kill them. I'm fine with that. Well, what,
1: what, I, what I would suggest is you just you give them a sharp object and put them in a room for an hour and say... It's either your neck or your balls, you know. It's, that's what I think. <laughs> you have but to
2: choose. One of them. One
1: getting... of the. It, and then you can choose whatever you want. You have some free will in this now, but
2: one
0: of them's getting the snip.
1: But yeah, something's yeah. happening.
0: Um. Yeah. I. I mean. I. I agree with that as well. So, um. But now there's this whole, I guess, pedophile acceptance movement that we've done an episode about, maybe even more yeah. than one before. Um. And a lot of people are like no, like they're fine. Um. People on the other end of that spectrum think if you find out someone's a pedophile, let's just do away with them right then and there why even wait for them to commit a crime and again when it comes to i think anything to do with kids specifically because i'd be a lot less likely to advocate the death penalty um for i guess a murder just a regular murder and that sounds to be a really heinous crime but it needs to be a a heinous heinous crime crime. right and i think that even even if we have the death penalty as a society i think there's a lot of room to discuss when it should and shouldn't be applied
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah of course I mean, yeah. There's a whole, there's a huge argument around it if it's ethical in any way, of course. And there is, there is good arguments to say that it's not.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, well, what's but... interesting is that you know you're Catholic. The Pope just recently came out and said mm-hmm. that the death penalty is not, in I guess, accordance with Catholic theology.
1: Right. Well, that's not dogma. That's mm-hmm. that's the Pope's opinion. It's good. It's you know he's got a very educated opinion on the matter. But uh, that's nice of him to tell me that. Thank you. <laughs>
0: But that's it for this episode. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and we'll see you next time.